I invite you to open up a copy of God's Word to Psalm chapter 78. I'm going to read our text this morning. This is Psalm chapter 78, verses 1 to 8. And I'm going to first ask God for his help. Father, we come before you this morning humbled. And as we've talked about and prayed about, God, we come to your word for wisdom. Father, we thank you for preserving your word for us this morning particularly these verses from Psalm 78 that you have preserved for hundreds of years. Father, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, that, Father, you might mold us more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, this morning. And, Father, as was already prayed, Father, for anyone here who has yet to put their faith and trust in your Son, Father, would you open up our eyes to the truth of the gospel. And it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Psalm 78, verses 1 to 8. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God And not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. This is the word of God. The average lifespan around the globe, although it varies country to country, is somewhere around 80 years. 80 years. That's 29,200 days. That's 700,800 hours or 42,048,000 minutes of our lives. Now, generally, for most people in our country, we would count the first 18 to 22 years, we might be able to describe diapers to diplomas. Right? Infants, toddlers, children, students, adolescents, high school, and college. Then the next 30 to 40 years of our lives, although different from person to person, include adults doing adult things. Working, moving, raising families, paying off mortgages, enjoying good moments of life navigating difficult moments of life, caring for family members, and the list goes on and on and on. And then if God allows to live even longer, the last decades of life are filled with a variety of tasks, activities, and family responsibilities. However, no matter how long one lives, no matter if we live the average of 80 years or longer or shorter, 
we know that the saying is true, that two things are certain, death and taxes. And although 70, 80, 90, even 100 years might seem like a long time on this earth, no matter how many spins around the globe or journeys around the sun we may have, we know that our time on this earth is a grain of sand set on the beach of eternity. And standing among and above every single day that we have is God our creator and his purpose that he has for our lives. And so as we think about this text here this morning that God has preserved for us, Psalm 78, verses 1 to 8, we are reminded that God, who lives above all our days, has a special emphasis on the next generation. A reminder that there is more going on in our world, and unless Jesus comes back, will be more going on in our world beyond today than what we see right now. And our grain of sand, although it seems long, is only a speck on the beach of eternity. So as we think here of Psalm 78 this morning, and we think of the title of this sermon that the next generation would know, another way to to say this title would be, living today with your great-great-great-grandchildren in mind. So we see here in this text that God calls us to live right now, this very moment, in light of the many generations that will come after us. So we look here in this text, and first we are reminded that if we are going to live in light of the coming generations, we need to know what target we are aiming at. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a big fan of the Summer Olympics. Last year when the Summer Olympics came, it would be very hard for someone who is competing in archery to shoot for the target unless someone told them which target to aim for, right? We need to know what we are aiming at. And the psalmist gives us three things that we should aim at. And I invite you to look down with me at verse 7. In verse 7, the psalmist writes, So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Three things, the target that the psalmist gives us that we should aim for, for our children and our grandchildren, are right here in verse 7. The first thing the psalmist says is that they should set their hope in God. We know that everything in our culture, as we look at advertisements on TV, promotional ads on our phones, are about things that are here today and gone tomorrow. However, the psalmist tells us that our hope should not be in something transient, but should be in the eternal God. Now, there's many things that we could hope for. Many things, if you would take the back of your program this morning and make a list of things you could hope for your kids or your grandkids, there's many things that you could add to that list. But whatever it is, if it is not of the eternal God, it will one day disappear. And it's as if the psalmist is shouting here, hope in the one thing that will last forever. 
But the second thing we see in verse 7 is that the target that we aim for with our kids and grandkids would be that they would not forget the works of God. We don't want to be the generation, or we don't want our kids' generation or grandkids' generation to be the generation that is so distant from God that we forget his works. But we also don't want to be to the other extreme where we're so familiar with the works of God that we forget the God who is behind those works and we fall away from him. We must remember that God did not just show up when America was founded. And God cares about the whole world, not just what we have in front of us. As one of my favorite authors and pastors says, as we think about the works of God, we need the whole Bible. Mark Dever says the Old Testament, the 39 books of the Old Testament, are promises that God makes. But then the 27 books of the New Testament are the promises that God keeps. Tri-County Bible Church, are we a church that is familiar with the works of God? And then the third thing we see in verse 7, the target that we have for our children and our grandchildren is that they would keep the commands of God. Now, to be transparent with you, like Pastor Greg said, I'm a youth pastor as well, and I have to remind my students again and again and again that God did not give us his law to make us miserable, It wasn't like God prohibited gossiping because he wanted to make your life bad. Or it's not like God prohibited murdering because he wanted to keep your passions to the side. When God gave us his law, he knew what he was doing, and he knew what the best way of life would be for us to live. But as we think of this, as we think of of our children keeping his commands, we must remember that our goal is, is not to become moralistic. Our goal is not to raise a whole bunch of little Pharisees who know how to live on the outside, but their hearts inside are cold and hard towards God. So we must be reminded even today, as we think of the target for our kids and grandkids to keep the commandments of God, we must keep the commandments in the right perspective knowing that the law of God points us to our need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. And knowing, like Jesus said in John 6, 29, that this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So as we think of this, the target, Psalm 78 gives us three very clear targets for our kids to set their hope in God, to not forget the works of God, and to keep his commandments. My first question for you this morning is, how does this compare to our goals that we have for our children or our grandchildren? Now, this doesn't mean that we can't have other goals, academic goals, career-oriented goals, any type of goals we might have. But all of these goals must be in the perspective knowing that we are here today and gone tomorrow. They must be underneath the ultimate goals that God has for us. For how sad it would be if our children and grandchildren attain all of the academic goals we have for them, 
but set their hope more in their GPA than in God. How miserable it would be for our children and grandchildren to attain the athletic goals we have for them, to be in the newspaper and on the social media that everyone sees them, but how miserable it would be if they're more familiar with the team playbook than the Word of God, and how terrifying it would be if our children get into the college we desire for them, get the job we want for them, make more money than you or I ever made, but don't believe the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, do your goals for your children and grandchildren align to the goals that God has for them? Or is it necessary for us to recalibrate Because if we are going to live in light of eternity, we must have the same goals or the same target that God has for us. As we continue, as we think of what the psalmist writes in Psalm 78, second, to live in light of eternity, to live with our great-great-great-grandchildren in mind, we need to look beyond right now and look into the generation's in the future. Now, this seems clear, right? It seems clear that if we're going to live in light of eternity, we need to look into the future. But I wonder how many times in the past week you or I thought about the decisions that we are making today and thought how they're having an effect a hundred years from now. Or maybe not even a hundred years from now, maybe just 50 years from now. Because we know the slogan of life right now could be described in one word. Urgent. What do I need to do today? But this doesn't seem like it's what the psalmist was focused on. Yes, we need to do something today. But we must not forget tomorrow and the days that will follow. Let's look at what the psalmist says in verse 4. The psalmist writes, We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Or if we look down at verse 6, we see a forward emphasis that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them, to their children. I mean, let's take a, take a moment to just sit back and think about the words that the psalmist says here. That the children yet unborn might know the ways of, their, of the Lord, and then these children, when they grow up, that they would tell them to their children. Do we see the emphasis here? The psalmist is saying there's more than what is happening today. We need to look not only to the next generation, but the generation beyond it. We need to always be living in light of eternity. One pastor explains that as he has family devotions, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands how many of you either have family devotions or attempt to have family devotions, but one of the, one of the pastors um, that I was reading in a book, and I know Pastor Greg has benefited from this pastor as well, he explains that when he does family devotions or family worship, 
This is what he says his plan is. He says, my plan is that a hundred years from now, there will be great-great and great-great-great-grandchildren who can't imagine these practices not happening in their households because I have so thoroughly ingrained them in my children's lives here and now. For those parents and those children, my name will long be forgotten. His name will be a name on a tombstone that they don't know much about. But he continues to write, I want God's word to be so deeply engraved in my family that those future generations will not be able to escape its implications. I hope to start something in my family that I cannot finish because it will outlast my time on earth. Talk about motivation for us to open up the word of God with our families. That our kids would know nothing else other than the normal to be that we pray to God to communicate to him and we open up his word to hear from him. With the goal not only for their generation, but the goal that one day they would pass it on to their kids and their grandkids and their great-grandkids. Now I realize you might be sitting here this morning saying, I don't have kids. Maybe you're single Maybe you're married and and you don't have children. Maybe you're an aunt or an uncle. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're a teenager or a child saying, Pastor Kyle, it's great we're talking about this, but I am the next generation. What am I supposed to do? And as we think about this text and we think about looking down the line, I'm reminded of a story that a friend of mine told me about her own life that happened many years ago. A friend of mine named Lori grew up in the household in the 1960s and 1970s that had no interest in the things of God. Back in those years, in some places today, it was common in the 60s and 70s for churches to go door to door and knock on doors and invite each family to come to church. When the church would come to her house, they wouldn't even open the door. Zero interest in the things of God and zero interest in going to church. Well, Lori was a teenager. She followed the example of her parents, no interest in the things of God. However, she had two friends, Karen and Becky. Karen and Becky invited Lauren to church. Lauren, or Laurie, following the pattern of her parents, no, not going to church. Well, thankfully, Karen and Becky were persistent. Lori, do you want to come to church? Do you want to come to youth group? No. Again and again and again. Till one day in the year 1977, Lori was a teenager and she decided she would go to church. Her first thought when she walked in the doors is I think the same thought she would have if, by, if she walked into these doors. She saw families worshiping together. She thought, that would be cool if it's my family, but we have no interest in the things of God, and my parents have no interest in coming to church. Until one Sunday, one day, God surprised her. God does what only he can do. 
take hearts that have no interest in the things of God, and as I prayed earlier, open up their eyes to the truth of the gospel. And one day, Lori Fry put her faith in Jesus Christ. She put her faith in Jesus Christ, and eventually her mom put her faith in Christ. Her brother put her faith in, his faith in Christ. Her cousin put his faith in Christ. And my question for you this morning is who started that domino effect? Now, obviously, we know it was God. God is the one who saves people. But it wasn't an adult. It was two teenage girls who persistently invited their friends to church. And eternity is going to be different. Lori Fry grew up then. She didn't stay a teenager. She grew up, went to college in Virginia, and met Glenn and got married. Glenn and Lori had two daughters of their own who they both raised in the church. And I wonder how different the trajectory of their daughters would be if Karen and Becky never invited Lori in the first place. It gets better. Glenn and Lori, as they grew up and as they were married and had kids, they've served in middle school ministry in our church for over 20 years. Now, that's a record in itself. Middle school ministry for 20 years. But the dominoes that got pushed over, teenagers, kids in this room, it started with two 15-year-olds. I don't know if Lori's family, if her daughters and her granddaughters ever met or ever will meet Karen and Becky. But one day in eternity, they will be worshiping the Lamb together because God used two teenagers to share the gospel with their friends. We must be looking to the next generation. We must be looking, as the psalmist writes, to the children yet unborn so that they should tell it to their children. Because who knows who God will save? And if God can save us, God can save anyone. Now, you might be sitting here this morning, as we think about the next generation, you might be sitting here this morning with some guilt. Maybe you think, Pastor Kyle, I raised my kids in the church. I raised my kids to know the things of the Lord, and now they're adults, and they're not following Jesus. Worse yet, I raised my kids to know the things of the Lord, and now my grandkids aren't being raised in the life of the church. What am I to do? Thinking of the next generation seems exciting when we think out there, but it really hurts when we think in here of the people we know and love who are not following Jesus And let me remind you a principle that we find all throughout the Bible this morning. That God loves your children, and God loves your grandchildren even more than you do. That might be hard to believe, but he loves your children, and he loves your grandchildren even more than you do. And he will answer your prayers that you are praying according to his plan and according to his timing. 
I think of a friend of mine in our church who recently got saved and baptized. His grandma would bring him to church when he was young, but he was not following Jesus. In the time from when he was a kid to now he's a young adult, God called his grandma home. She battled cancer and ended up, God took her to heaven. And now, after she's been in heaven, after she died, her grandson put his faith in Jesus Christ. We have no idea how God might answer our prayers long after the time we're on this earth. And I'm reminded a piece of evangelism advice that I first heard from apologist Sean McDowell. He said, before you talk to your friends about God, talk to God about your friends. Or another way to say this, thinking about the next generation, before we talk to our adult children or grandchildren about God, let's talk to God about them in prayer. Because we see the grain of sand, right? We see the grain of sand where God sees the beach of eternity. And although we might not see how God is answering these prayers now, we know that God might answer them long after we are dead and buried. So as we think about this, looking to the next generation, intentionally taking our eyes off of what we're going through and looking ahead, we know sometimes we need to to change the word urgent to the word intentional. And how are we living today with the next generation in mind? And third, and lastly, as we think of this text in Psalm 78, just verses 1 to 8, when we think about what it means to live in light of eternity, we need to actually speak the things of God to the next generation. We need to actually use words when we talk to the next generation about the gospel. Now it is true, and I am a big proponent, that things are both taught and caught, right? Our kids listen to what we say, but they also catch the way we live. I mean, my daughter is almost three, and she is a mirror image of the actions that my wife and I make at home. Sometimes I cringe, again, she's not even three, I cringe when I see her do things, and I'm like, how did she know that I say that? Things are both taught and caught. But let me suggest that they'll likely never be caught if we never use words to teach our children. This is all throughout the psalm. Look with me at the second half of verse 4. It says, tell to the coming generation. The word tell implies speech. Look with me at the second half of verse 5. It says, teach to their children. The word teach implies speech. And we see in verse 6 that the, the things of God are both taught and modeled. It says, arise and tell them to their children. There's a saying that goes around that we should preach the gospel at all times and if necessary use words. And although that's a well-intentioned saying, if we don't use words, people aren't going to know the gospel. And how sad it would be for us to model the gospel in front of our kids and model the gospel in front of our grandkids and our nieces and nephews 
and we get to the end of their lives and they've seen the gospel lived out, but they've never heard the words of the gospel. In the New Testament, the emphasis was on speaking the gospel. And this psalm reminds us that we must use words when we speak the gospel to the next generation. Now, there's several extremes, and I realize even among this room right here, right, there's several extremes that we can have. Every single family is different. Some families might be on one extreme, where they say, you know what, Pastor Kyle, we do family devotions, we do family discipleship alone, right? At home, we read the Bible, at home, we pray, at home, we worship God together, and that's what we do. We don't really need the church over there. Sure, we show up at church occasionally, or we show up at church a lot, but, but we do it in the house. And then the other extreme over there is saying, you know what, I, I raise my kids at home, we're busy, it's hard enough to get out the door in the morning, right? We're going through the motions. We're, we're like, like, man, I just have to like take deep, deep breaths to get through the week. Sure, sure. Like, I'll get my family through everything else, but the church, the church can teach my kids about God, right? And, and that fits the cultural narrative, right? If our kids need athletic help, what do we do? We get them a trainer. And if our kids need academic help, what do we do? We get them a tutor. So if our kids need spiritual help, what does it make sense that we would do? Well, we take them to church, we get them a pastor, we get them a youth pastor or a youth leader. And we have these two extremes, and every single family is somewhere between these two extremes. And as we think about what the psalmist says here, the emphasis of actually telling the gospel, speaking the gospel to the next generation... May I suggest, I'm not sure where your family fits on this spectrum, but may I suggest it doesn't have to be an either-or. I think it's supposed to be a both-and. Parents, speaking specifically to you, and grandparents, with the unique role that God has given you to speak to your grandkids, God will use your words specifically and intentionally. You can speak to your kids and grandkids unlike anyone else can because God put them under your care. However, I think, as any of us who are parents or grandparents in this room know, parenting is humbling. We can speak things to our kids all the time and we might feel like we're never getting through Or maybe we think we're getting through, and then we realize that our kids aren't living the way we thought they were living. So may we continue to teach our children at home. However, may we not forget that God designed the the family, the, the family unit that he put us in, to fit within the church family unit that he intentionally designed. That God did not create us to go through life alone. And I know family life is messy, right? Sometimes the reason I think we stay over here in our own bubble is because we don't want other people to know what's actually going on inside. But how many times have parents tried to speak the gospel to their kids or try to instruct their kids and it's just not getting through, it's not getting through, it's not getting through? 
And then they show up at youth group on Wednesday night or on Sunday night. And the youth leader says the same thing the parents have been saying 150 times. And all of a sudden, boom! The light bulb goes on. They get picked up at youth group and the parents are like, what did you learn tonight? And they tell them, they're like, I've been telling you that for a year and a half. As we use words to preach the gospel to the next generation, parents, we must remember that you are not the hero. Jesus is. And that God designed you as parents and you as grandparents to be the primary discipler in your kid's life. To, as the psalmist said in Psalm 78, to tell the gospel to the next generation. But he did not intend you to do it alone. Tri-County Bible Church, you are blessed to have a youth ministry and a kids ministry. There are thousands of churches meeting this very moment that do not have the gospel being taught to kids and to teenagers. So let's not do family ministry alone, and let's not do church ministry alone. Let's not divide two things that although sometimes they look like enemies, God intended that they would be friends. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, wow, that sounds good. Family discipleship, reading the Bible, like, but like every time we open the Bible at home, one of our kids cries. Better yet, as one of my uh, fellow pastors said, the other day we were talking and he has four kids, all teenagers. He said, last night we opened the Bible, and he's a pastor. He said, last night we opened the Bible, and he's like, I was four for four. All of them cried before we were done. I'm like, oh, thanks. That gives me hope with my two little kids, right? But as we think about telling the gospel, I would just suggest, if you're here this morning and that's something that you have struggled at, don't feel like you need to, to like hit a home run every night. Don't feel like we need to be where we're like, we're going to read the whole Bible this year as a family. I would suggest just finding a, finding a book of the Bible, I, I suggest the Gospel of Mark, and just read section by section. If it's too hard to do it as a whole family, look for pockets in your schedule. And now's the right time to think about this, right? It's summer. And for you grandparents, this is a great time to think about it because maybe if you don't see your your grandkids a lot, you can think, where are there pockets in our schedule that we could implement family discipleship? Like moms or dads, maybe you have a five-minute drive to school starting in a few weeks that in that drive, you and your daughter could pray about what God has in front of them. Maybe if your grandkids or kids live out of town, you could talk over FaceTime Ask what God is teaching them. But we must remember that family discipleship and church discipleship are not enemies. And if we are going to raise the next generation to know and love Jesus, we must remember that we actually need to speak the gospel. Now, as we think about this and as we think about what it means to speak the gospel— I just like to remind others and to remind myself that we know that if we're truly going to do what this psalm says, tell the next generation the deeds of the Lord, it's going to be offensive. Right? The gospel is offensive because the gospel says that we are sinners, have turned our back on God, and we need a Savior. 
We live in a world where we don't like to admit that we are in need. And so I want to remind you, if we're actually going to tell the gospel, if we're going to do what the psalmist says here in Psalm 78, that our goal should not be to try to be cool as we present the gospel to our kids. Or I know grandparents, aunts and uncles, you're thinking, how am I supposed to present the gospel to my nieces and nephews? Like, they use language that I don't even know what it means. I mean, as a youth pastor over the past year and a half, I've learned terms that I never knew existed. Slap, bet, no cap apparently means that you're not lying. Like, terms like, I don't know. And I think sometimes part of what prevents us from sharing the gospel with those younger than us is we're afraid that we're going to be looked at as being stuffy or uncool. But I want to remind you this morning that the gospel is not cool. The gospel is powerful. 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul wrote, For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness, to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, sons and daughters, teenagers, the next generation needs the gospel. And the gospel isn't powerful because of you. The gospel message is powerful because it comes straight from the heart of God. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. When is the last time we shared the gospel with our family members? Because there is nothing more that the next generation needs than for us to courageously speak, tell the gospel to the next generation. Now, as we close this morning, I just want to put my my cards on the table, right? We think here of Psalm 78, it's obvious that we know the target that we're supposed to shoot for, that they would hope in God, that they would not forget the works of God, that they would follow his commands. We read Psalm 78, and a clear reading of this text helps us see we need to lift our eyes off of today and look into the future And a simple reading of Psalm 78 helps us know that we need to use words to tell the next generation the things of God. But if I'm going to be transparent with you, and if I'm going to put my cards on the table of why I'm so passionate about the next generation, I'll tell you because for some reason, about 70 years ago, in the 1950s, there were four people who grew up about 10 miles from each other. One of them was named Earl Hoffsmith. The other one was named Marion Grayville. Another one was named Faber Walters. And the fourth one was named Beverly Painter. These were four children who grew up about 10 miles from each other. And for some reason, in God's grace, he saved all four of them. Eventually, Faber Walters married Beverly Painter, and Earl Hoffsmith married Marion Graybill. They 
had kids. They raised their kids, although imperfectly. Beverly and Faber raised Belinda Walters, and Earl and Marion raised Tim Hoffsmith. They raised their kids in a time in a church that had a lot of legalism in it. And for some reason, in God's kindness, God saved Belinda Walters and Tim Hoffsmith. They grew up in a church about this size in the nursery together. Eventually, they became teenagers. Eventually, they went to college. And eventually, Tim Hoffsmith and Belinda Walters got married. And several years later, they had three boys, Kent, Kyle, and Joel. And I found myself the middle of three brothers, which is a story as we know for another time. (laughs) But I found myself in an imperfect family led by parents who were sinners and came to an understanding that they needed a savior, and it was Jesus. And I knew that my parents could make a list that could be very long for me of what they hoped for me. But I knew that they wanted nothing more than for me to know Jesus and make him known. And for some reason, in God's kindness, as a boy after being surrounded by the gospel in the local church and a parachurch organization known as a Child Evangelism Fellowship, God opened my eyes to the truth of the gospel, and he saved me. And in God's kindness, years later I met Jenna, and now we have two little kids, Benjamin, who just turned one, and Madeline, who's almost three, has the personality of a 13-year-old. And I can tell you, that I could make a long list of what I'd want for my kids. A long list. And we know it's scary out there. The culture that our kids and grandkids are growing up in, it is scary. But there's nothing more I want for my kids and grandkids than to know Jesus and make him known. And I know that your story is different than mine. Just like there are no two people in this room who have the same fingerprint, every single person in this room has a different family background. I don't know why God allowed me to grow up in a family where all four of my grandparents accepted Christ and both of my parents accepted Christ and raised me to do this. I don't know what your family is like and I don't assume, actually I know, that none of our families are perfect. But may I suggest to us this morning that years in the future, and the day is coming sooner than we might wish, where our great-great-great-grandkids are going to be signed a school project where they need to put together a family tree. And when our great-great-great-grandkids are assigned this, like I think every kid in America has always been assigned to put together a family tree, you and I are likely going to be dead and buried. We're going to be a name that they find on Ancestry.com or 23andMe. We're going to be a name that they know very little about. 
And may God use our time on earth be to make Jesus known and to invest in the next generation that our great-great-great-grandchildren, although they might know very little about us, may they know that Jesus was our Lord.